Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Good morning, church. Say hello to people watching worship with us online today. We are so glad that you're here as well. People near and far. I ask you to go ahead and grab your Bible and like for real, like grab your Bible. I wanna encourage you to do something. Listen, I know we're all grateful for technology most days. And I know that you can access God's word on your phone at any time and it's really, really cool. But I've discovered that it is almost impossible to read the Bible on my phone without distraction. Because I'm, in, I'm right here, I'm in the middle of reading Philippians or reading Romans, and then boom, a notification comes up. An email, a text, a Facebook thing, dear Lord. Like there's all kinds of distractions. So can I just say, like, like find a leather-bound Bible with some pages in it and go a little bit archaic with me into God's word. Come on. I'm just challenging us all to do that. To get, and if you don't have one, we will be glad to give you one. Stop by the information bar on your way out. If we don't have any left, we will write your name down and we will make sure that you get one because we just, we just finished a Sunday night series that we called Released in the Word in hopes that it, it wouldn't just be like a few weeks where we get excited about the Bible, but where we would feel equipped and empowered and have a desire to, you cannot know God if you do not know his word. And so dive into the Bible, dive into it. And, and it's been a crazy January. We made it through all 47 days of it. This is the first weekend that we've had three gatherings in a row in the several weeks. And so I'm wore out, but I got a lot of caffeine and a lot of the Holy Spirit, so I'm ready to go. Because this is the first Sunday in February. And for many of y'all, it's just another Sunday. But for, for those of us that have been around vintage, especially from the beginning, the first Sunday in February is a marker for us. Because it was the first Sunday in February in 2009 when this church officially launched at Southern Guilford Middle School. We had about 80-something people that day, and I preached so good, 50 came back the next week. <laughs> Pretty impressive. And I remember that day like it was yesterday, man. It was crazy what God has done. And, and, and it was also the first Sunday in February of 2018 that we worshiped right in this building for the first time. And to watch God work and to watch God move, that those, those Sundays represent for me steps forward in my own life, in my own journey. That I remember standing in that, on that platform at Southern Guilford Middle School that first Sunday in February. And it was, it was Ashley and I stepping out, moving forward in our own lives, believing that God had called us to start not just a church, but to create a place where people of all walks of life could come and find Jesus. That no matter how deep your past and prevalent your baggage, you could come in here and meet the one and only true God that has the power to change it all that we wanted to inspire people to live in love like Jesus. And when we stepped in this building, we left Random uh, Middle School at a church of about 500 people. And that first Sunday in here, there was about 1,100 people that worshiped. And it was such a powerful moment that it was just a reminder that, that God was continuing to call us forward. And as I stand on this platform, how many years since, is that 13? Don't ask me to do math. My major was ministry, not math, so y'all help me out. 13, I think, that I still believe that God is calling us forward, that there's still more things he's trying to do in and through his church and in and through our lives. And if our church is gonna move forward, then church, look at me, we gotta move forward. 
I've gotta move forward, you've gotta move forward, our staff has to move forward, we gotta move forward, that we can't afford to get complacent because hell is too real and eternity is too long for us to do so. Come on, somebody. Like, we've got to keep moving forward, that there's still people outside these walls that don't yet know the hope that we have. There is a Jesus that died for every human soul who wants to give life to every person that's ever been created and help them not only experience eternity with him later, but walk in true life right now. Come on, somebody. Y'all got like two hours more sleep than 8.15, so come on, y'all need a little more. Like God's calling us forward. And it's not by accident that God put that word on my heart that I know the last two years have been really hard. And for a lot of people in the room, well before that, it's been really hard. And I know it's so easy just to get complacent and stuck. It's so easy just to meet Jesus and then kind of get really complacent, be on fire for a little while and then step into life and get complacent. But this is the year that we move forward, that we step forward, that we really lean into the things that are necessary to call us into who he's created us to be because that's who God is. That's what he does. He's always taking people from where they are to where he wants them to be that he's growing you up in your faith. He's taking you in deeper knowledge and understanding of who he is and what he desires for and from your life. Let's step forward and to do that, we've been leaning in to the greatest unstuck story, in my opinion, in all of scripture. It's the story of the nation of Israel. And when we pick up with their story, they had gotten stuck in a place called Egypt. See, God had made a promise to a man named Abraham and it would be through Abraham's descendants that he would eventually bring the Messiah into the world. And when he met Abraham, Abraham was stuck. Abraham was an old man who thought this would be his life. He and his wife were too old to have kids, and he would just kind of exist in the, just the two of them in this season until he died. And God said, no, I, I got a plan. I know you think you're too old, but if you're not dead, God's not done, and so you're not too old. You're not too old. Somebody in the room needs to hear that. You're not too old. If you still got breath in your lungs, there's still things God wants to do in and through your life. So don't settle for less when God has more for your life. He says, they're gonna do more. And so his nation begins to grow and he has Isaac and Jacob and all these sons start coming. And this eventually there comes a moment when the nation of Israel has to be put on pause in Egypt for a little while for the protection of their progress. But a little while turned into 400 years. And God had taken a man named Moses and he had chose Moses to be the one Moses was to be the catalyst of movement for his people. God saved his life. He, he should have never even, even made it to year one. His mom put him in a basket and God had him plucked from that basket and he was put in the palace of Pharaoh until one day his anger management issues got the best of him because he saw a Hebrew slave being beaten and he lost it and he kills the Egyptian that was beating him. He has to flee. And on the far side of the wilderness, God shows up in Moses' life and says, Moses, you're the one. I pick you. I choose you to be the one to go tell Pharaoh, it's time for my people to go move forward. And that message that God gave Moses, the same message I feel like he's given us to look at his people and say, it's time to go. It's time to move forward. It's time to move on beyond those things that you feel like you cannot move past. It's time to move forward in your walk with Christ. It's time to grow up in your faith. It's time to move forward and do more than just settle. It's time to step towards what God has for you. And so we've been walking through this story as Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, look, it's, you, you gotta let these people go. And it took several plagues to finally push Pharaoh to the point of letting them go. And then even when he let them go, last week we realized that he regretted it. And so he goes chasing after them. 
And as the nation of Israel is making progress, they find themselves on the banks of the, of the Red Sea with nothing in front of them but a whole bunch of water and barreling down behind them is Pharaoh and his chariots. And one of the coolest miracles in all of scripture unfolds where God parts the sea and the whole nation walks across on dry land. Somebody pointed out to me last week that, that you notice that it's dry land, that they didn't even have a travel through the mud. That they go, why did I say mud? Mud. They had to walk through on dry land and they get across and then they turn back and they watch the sea fold back over, drowning the enemy that was coming after them. And I, I've thought all week, man, what, what it would have been like to witness that kind of miracle? To be stepping through that tunnel and on each side is a wall of water and you see little like fish swimming by and all these different things happening. It's like, this is the coolest thing we've ever seen. And then to get on the other side of the sea and watch it fold back over and wipe out this Egyptian army, the celebration that must have happened. And you know what they do next? If you keep reading the story, they worship. They write a worship song. That almost always in scripture after God did something amazing, like our natural response when we watch God do amazing things is worship. That's why we come in here and we worship and we scream and we dance. And some of y'all look at us like we're crazy because you're about right here during worship and that's, that's okay. It's okay, but we give glory and honor to God that you're riding that spiritual, emotional high because when you see God do something that only God can do, it stirs something in you. You ever seen it? Come on. People ask me all the time, why, Matt, Pastor Matt, why don't, why don't we see God do miracles today like we did in the Bible? I say, oh, oh, oh God still does miracles. It, it doesn't necessarily look exactly like we see it in Scripture, but I look around the room every Sunday, and I see some miracles sitting in this room. There's some people that, like if they, there's some people that knew you in high school that know it's a miracle that you're in here now. Come on. Like some of us, we know the miraculous things. That some of us were so steeped in temptation and sin, just the matter that we've received mercy and grace and forgiveness, and we're walking in victory. That's just the... When a lost person finds Jesus, there's nothing more miraculous than that. When somebody steps from death to life, there's nothing more miraculous. God still does miracles, church. And if you think you've never seen one, you're wrong because you have. Because really the truth is, you are one. But on the other side of the Red Sea, I don't know what the nation of Israel was thinking. Like, like okay, now, this is going to be awesome. Our enemy is gone. Like we know, we no longer have to worry about Pharaoh. It's going to be smooth sailing all the way to the promised land. Right? Well, let's see what happens. Grab your Bible. Go to Exodus chapter 15 and pick up with verse 22. They walk through the water. They come across on dry land. They look back. They watch the sea fold back over their enemy. And so they must be thinking like the next, we, we, we have this worship song. We write this great worship song and we sing praises to God. And the drums are really loud because that's what drums are supposed to be. It says, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the, the desert. And for three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. Wait a minute. This isn't how it's supposed to go, right? 
We had this great victory. We, 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 I know we're going a weird way. This is a strange way that God's leading us. But now that, now that we've slayed our enemy, now that we've had victory over the one that was chasing us, it's supposed to be smooth sailing from here on out, right? The reason why y'all ain't saying right is because you're people and you've been on earth long enough to know that life is full of mountains and valleys and mountains and valleys and mountains and valleys. Come on, somebody. That it is never all good and it is never all bad. That there, this is a, a thing about life and most importantly, a thing about what it means to follow God is you are gonna constantly have to overcome adversity as you advance forward for him. You with me? Say amen. amen. That so much about following God is moments of absolute celebration followed by seasons of complete frustration. That's what it means to walk with God. They could not have been more excited. I can't imagine. I don't know. They could not have been more excited on the immediate side of the Red Sea. Moses is great, man. He just lifted his arms and the water said, Whoosh! and then he lifted his arms again and the water said, Whoosh! you get sound effects when you come to vintage. They drowned all our enemy, we're good. And then they go wandering around the desert and for three days, no food or water. This is the onset of hangry. It's bad enough that Moses is leading all these people now three days without food and water. Y'all know some people, they go about half a day without water. They, they turn into the devil. And here's the thing that we have to just begin to wrap our heads around. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Come on, look at me. This is what it means to walk with God. You're gonna have moments of absolute celebration. The coolest things that have ever happened in my life I deeply believe are from the hand of God. See, I don't believe in God just because the Bible tells me so. I don't believe the Bible, in God just because I was raised in a Christian home. I believe in God because I've seen him move in my life. Come on, testify somebody. Like I've, I've seen his hand. I've seen his fingerprint on my life. So when people say, well, you just, you just believe in God because the Bible, yes, the Bible does tell me so, but I can record, I can tell you moments of my own testimony where I see the hand of the creator working in my life and I hope you have too. I've seen his hand in my life and I've had those moments of celebration. But I also know that walking with God has also produced some of the hardest seasons of frustration that I've ever had to walk through. That God is, following him has resulted in some amazing, miraculous, powerful, beautiful things. But following him has also produced some really difficult, hard, challenging, painful things. And I don't know if somebody told you at some point, oh, you just give your heart to Jesus and everything will be great. They lied to you. And can I just submit to you, Jesus never made that promise. As a matter of fact, Jesus said the exact opposite. Look at John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus looks at his disciples, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world, you will have trouble. Did you hear that? Jesus didn't say, in this world, there's a chance you might have trouble. In this world, possibly you might could have, no, he says, in this world, you will 
It is a certainty. It is a guarantee. You will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Like, Matt, why are you beating this drum so hard? Because you need to anticipate the adversity. You need to anticipate the adversity. Because what happens all throughout this story, we're gonna continue to notice, it's like somewhere along the way, the Israelites expect their next adversity to be their last one. And I don't know if you're in a season of adversity, you're either going into a storm, in a storm, or coming out of a storm. It's one of three positions, come on somebody. Like you're gonna walk through hard things if you follow Jesus. You're gonna have moments of, of, of complete amazing joy and moments of complete, absolute frustration. Like, Matt, be positive. I am positive you're gonna go through hard things. 100% positive you're gonna go through hard stuff. And some people might say, well, anticipating hard things is somehow having a spirit of negativity. No, anticipating hard things is having a posture of reality that will serve you better than a constant false expectation of easy. It's gonna be hard. And the reason why you need to know this is because I don't want you to fall into the trap that the enemy will set when you hit that adversity. Because when you walk through adversity, the enemy wants to leverage those spaces. And more often than not, on the other side of victory is when you're most vulnerable. It's like sometimes you can climb the highest mountains and it's like life just pushes you off the cliff. Wouldn't you like it if you climbed the mountain, it'd be a steady little like gradual climb back. Anybody ever feel like you climbed the mountain and then somebody pushed you off the cliff? Come on. Like you went from the highest high to the lowest low in a matter of seconds. And some of it's big and some of it's small. I'll never forget the Sunday that we first moved into this building and so many people showed up and all that, it was such an amazing day. And the next morning I walked into this building and all I had was complaints about all the things that were wrong and Dollar Tree wanted to kill us all because y'all took all their parking spaces. <laughs> and the next four days was just putting out fires as a team. See, the enemy wants to come in on the other side of that victory when he knows you're vulnerable. Steal your joy, because if he can steal your joy, he can get you to think retreat is the best option like we talked about last week. And if you don't anticipate the adversity and embrace it and be ready to push through it, the enemy will say, let's just go back. Let's just go back. And that's exactly what happens. Look at Exodus Chapter 16, verses two and three. says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Are you God is out here to starve to death, Moses. Like, we're gonna die. It's crazy. But you notice, look at, go back into that verse. It says, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out here. It's funny how in moments of adversity, we have a selective perspective on the past. 
It's funny that they, rem- in this moment, when things are getting hard, they remember the good food, but forget about the hard labor. Isn't that interesting? In this moment, they're like, man, it'd be sure it'd be nice back in Egypt. We had Burger King and Hardee's and none of those are good. Why'd I say those? <laughs> we had all this good food to eat, right? It's funny. You remember the good meat, but do you forget about the beatings? Do you forget about the whole hard labor? It's funny how, let me tell you, the enemy, this is his tactic. When you're walking forward with God and you bump up against adversity in that pursuit, the enemy wants to give you a very selective perspective on the past. He wants you to remember the good and forget about the bad in hopes that you'll return to your old ways. He wants to say, you were, don't you remember how good the drugs made you feel? Don't you remember how good it was to get that hit and forget about all the things of life? He wants you to remember that, but forget about all the pain and hurt you put your loved ones through when you were battling that addiction. He wants you to remember the pleasure. He wants you to remember the good stuff. And he wants to take your attention off the bad because if he can get you to forget about the negative consequence and only see what appears to be good, he can get you to retreat. I think that's why so many of us go back to those temptations. Don't you remember how that made you feel? Don't you remember the pleasure you got from that? Don't you remember how nice it was to participate? Don't you remember how good the Krispy Kreme tasted? Forget about how you felt when you were unhealthy. Don't you remember what he did for you on Valentine's Day? Forget about he treated you like crap all the rest of the time. Like he will, the enemy will constantly try to get your, to have tunnel vision about what was. Because if he can get you to, y'all, if he can get you to forget about the guilt and the shame and the pain and the struggle and the hurt, he can get you to make a really bad decision. They're sitting around and think, oh man, remember when we were in Egypt? He's like, Emma's like, this again? Oh, we had, we had food, we had meat. Yeah, they also nearly beat y'all to death. They worked you like crazy. It was a miserable existence for 400 years. It's funny how we can erase 400 years of negativity from one moment of pleasure. It tries to get them to forget. Don't make that trade, church. Don't make that trade. Because see, here's what, the enemy wants you to retreat before God shows up. Because every time you persevere and experience God's provision, it builds your faith and loosens his grip. Did that make sense? Every time you don't make that trade, every time you keep advancing instead of retreating, every time you keep moving forward and you persevere and God's provision comes, it builds your faith. And every time you experience his provision and it builds your faith, it loosens the enemy's grip on your heart. And what he wants you to do is get, give up before you see God move. And look at me. If it's God's will, he will always make a way. You think they would have learned that by now, right? If it's God's will, he will always make a way. Go into Exodus 16, verse four. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. 
The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. God says, I got you. I'm going to provide. I didn't lead you out into this desert for you to starve to death. I'm gonna rain down bread from heaven. And every time I read this, all I see is outback bread and cups of butter falling from the sky. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> now that in no way is what happened. There's a whole different way God did this. But y'all, now I just wanna go to outback and eat some bread. Who wants to take me outback after church? He says, I'm going to provide. If, if it's God's will, he'll make a way. And even if it means raining down bread from heaven, he can do that. You know how many times that I've bumped up into the impossible as we've journeyed through this thing as a church? And I remember all these things that we wanted. And God began to tell me, if God began to show me in this journey, like, if you needed it right now, I would give you what you needed to have it right now. And if you don't have what you need to have it right now, you don't need it right now. Did that make sense? But here's the thing. Sometimes you read this story, and it's really easy to think, well, it seems like the nation of Israel, every time they complained, God showed up. And then all of a sudden, you think that you can just whine to God and get your way. That's not what's happening here. You cannot complain or whine your way. You cannot move God's hand by whining and complaining. <laughs> that this is, about God's, this is about God accomplishing his will, not just giving them what they want. Our God is a good father. He is not a genie in a bottle. He is always working towards his will, not your wishes. And what's happening right here is God is providing because he has purpose in what is happening here. And that's why it's so important to be walking in the will of God. Because if it's his will, he will always make a way. He will always provide. There have been many times God did not give me what I wanted. But as I look back on my life, he's always provided what I needed. And sometimes it took years for me to have that perspective. Because there's, in the moment, my wants and needs get really blurry. Anybody else? But I do need it, God. It's like, my kids used to, tell me, used to come to me, I need this, daddy. No, you don't. You need like air and water. Outside of that, that's it, bro. While we're standing in the toy aisle of Target, there ain't nothing in this aisle that you need. And then, sometimes as a parent, whining does get the kids away. Sometimes, if you just shut up, I'll give it to you. That is not God. I understand persistence and what the parable that Jesus taught God is working to accomplish his will. And if his will, he will provide. Come on, he'll provide. He'll give you what you need. Psalm 145 says, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. But you need to know this, God's provision often comes with specific instruction. God's provision often comes with very specific 
instruction. Go back into verse four of Exodus 16. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they are to bring in and on it to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. God doesn't just say like, I'm gonna rain bread down from heaven. You just do with it whatever you want. He says, no, when I send my provision, here is some instructions that's necessary, and I'm going to test you, not to earn it, but to see if you trust me. And that's so often why God's instruction, God never, look at me, God never gives instruction without intention. God never doesn't mean to say anything. Does that make sense? I don't even know. God, everything God says, he means to say. God's not like people. I say a lot of stuff. I preach three times every single Sunday. Sometimes stuff comes out of my mouth. I'm like, what was that? God's never done that. God's never spoken and thought, what did I just say? Everything that God says, he says with intention. Does that make sense? Say amen. Every instruction from God comes with intention. And God's intention, look at me, this is really important. God's intention with every instruction is for your protection, not your limitation. This book Yes, it's to help us get to know God, understand who he is and his character. This book is also full of really intentional instructions so that we live in this life in a way that keeps us the most physically, emotionally, and spiritually healthy while we're on this planet. And every single instruction is with intention. Every instruction about relationship, about sexuality, about finances, about there's a lot of instructions about a lot of stuff and everything is with intention for your protection, not your limitation. If you hear me say amen for your protection. And, and what you have to understand is when you ignore, look at me, when you ignore God's intentional instruction, it always ends in destruction. You in, ignore his instructions on relationship, it'll end in, in destruction. You ignore his instruction on finance, it'll end in destruction. You ignore his instruction on sexuality, it'll, it'll end in destruction. Like everything that God says, he says with intention. Romans chapter 15, verse four. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And you notice what he says? Go back into verse 19, where Moses continues to unpack the way they're supposed to handle the bread from heaven. It says, then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell because God does not play. So Moses was angry with him, and each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. And he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is supposed to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and save whatever is left and keep it until morning. And he says, listen, I'm gonna give you enough for today. Trust me enough to know you only need what you need for today. You might could say he was given in their daily bread. Does that ring a bell with anybody? And Jesus said, teach us, they said, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. And he says, for six days, you get just enough. Like, I'm gonna provide. I know you feel like 
you feel the frustration on the other side of this celebration and, and this adversity has come once again and you don't know how you're gonna move forward because your belly is growling and you're thirsty, but I will provide. Trust me. Don't let the enemy convince you that what was behind you is better than what is ahead of you. I'm gonna provide. And for six days, gather all that you need and on the seventh day, because you've gathered twice as much the day before, you rest. It's interesting that the instruction of Sabbath is given by God to the nation of Israel even before all of the law and the Ten Commandments. Rest, trust me, I will provide. I just wonder if there's some people in the room that you've been walking forward with God and somewhere along you stepped out of the, off the mountain and into the valley and you feel the hunger pains you feel the frustration boiling you and you're saying, God, I need something. I need substance to move forward. I need something. Well, the good news is God has continued to promise substance. You say, Matt, I need some bread from heaven. You already have it. You already have it. Because eventually God would bring a different kind of bread from heaven, one that would be eternal and one who could satisfy unlike the bread that was given to the nation of Israel in the day of Moses. This is not gonna be on the screen because I just thought about this one more time as I was preaching the last service. It comes after feeding the 5,000, after this amazing celebration moment with the disciples. And they come chasing after Jesus. And if you go into John chapter six, verse 32, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they say, sir, always give us this bread. That's the bread that we want. And then verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That I have something to offer you that even Moses couldn't give them. Something that is similar but very different than your ancestors got. It's something that has the power to sustain you in every season to fill your heart, your soul, your spirit, not just your belly, it's me, it's Jesus. So that when you're in those seasons, those desert seasons, those dry seasons, those seasons when everything feels like it's going sideways and nothing feels right and you feel the pain and the struggle and you don't know where to turn and you're searching for that provision, can I just remind you, it's already there. He is already there. He is with you at all times and at every turn. And Jesus would also say that the man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from God. And then maybe what you need to do is just surrender, submit, and sit down and carve out time on a daily basis to feast on the bread of life as you walk forward. Would you stand with me? I don't know what part of everything I've just said you need to most lean into. 
I don't know if you're standing on the other side of some victory and you all of a sudden, you went so quickly from a moment of celebration to a season of just absolute frustration and you've just been wandering around in the wilderness waiting for God to show up. Here's the reality, the difference between us and them is he's already given you the bread. God, I'm waiting. He's like, so am I. So am I. I've been here the whole time. You waiting on me, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you to make the decision to lay some other things down and pick up my word. I'm waiting on you to come to me. I told you, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. I told you I won't leave you or forsake you. I know you feel dry and barren and frustrated, but I'm here. I'm here. He will make a way. Trust him. Don't retreat. Advance, even in the adversity. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its power. Thank you for the way it calls us forward at every turn. Thank you that you continue to supply the needs of your people. Thank you for your promises that are true. Thank you for abiding with us in every possible way. We love you. We praise you. We give you glory in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I want to thank you for worshiping with us today. If God has done anything in your life today, we want to hear about it. Remind you, if you want to sow in the ministry of our church, you can give online or in the boxes in the room. And as you leave today, don't forget to grab a box as we support the Family Crisis Center here in our community as we serve the city. We love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Give God some glory as you head out today. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.